0: Welcome back, my friends, to the Mail Right Real Estate Agent Podcast Show, episode 94. And we have an interesting guest today, and for you realtors listening, maybe a controversial guest. <laughs> but before we get into introducing our guest, I'm going to turn things over to my co-host, Jonathan Denwood, so he can talk about our wonderful show sponsor.
1: Oh, thank you, Thomas. The um, now sponsor... Is the Real Estate University. Um, if you go to the therealestateuniversity.com, they've got a number of courses about how to use modern marketing methods to get more quality leads for you. So, like I say, it's mostly focused around Facebook and utilizing the power of Facebook paid advertising. Um, like I say, go to their website and find out more back to you Thomas thanks Jonathan all right well I want to welcome uh, Tom
0: Caffarella to our show Tom thanks for being here this morning
2: thank you very much for having me on
0: I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself maybe uh, let our listeners hear about 30 or 60 seconds about yourself and your company
2: cool so I am a Boston based real estate investor been doing it for 10 years Uh, we fix and flip uh, buy and hold and wholesale roughly about a hundred deals Per year and um, the marketing methods that we're going to be talking about today have really been the reason why we've been able to be so successful in the Boston market.
0: Wonderful. And uh, that's Ocean City Development LLC. Yes. Okay, wonderful. All right, Jonathan, before I dive into my questions for Tom, do you want to introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I'm the founder and dog's body when it comes to MailRite. We're a marketing company that has its own software that helps our clients get quality leads and build stronger um, relationships with your clients in your local farm area. Back to you, Thomas.
0: Thank you. And I'm Thomas J. Nelson. I'm a residential realtor here in beautiful San Diego, California, where I'm never too busy for your referrals. And I am found on www.thomasjnelsonrealtor.com as well as Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. All right, let's dive into our questions for Tom. Uh, so Tom, I, I introduced you as a our controversial guest because you <laughs> you are the alternative to what I do. Um, yes. I do residential, retail, real estate and, and you are my antithesis. <laughs> so, um, but let's face it, fix and flip is out there and yep. um, that's just a part of the market. So um, before we dive into the marketing, because I am curious about your marketing, uh, I wanna talk about who's your typical client? Why do they go to you instead of enlist the uh, help of a realtor.
2: Well, like you just said, it's a part of the market. And what I like to tell everyone that works underneath me, that goes on my acquisitions appointments, that really only about 10% of sellers end up wanting to sell to an investor and making sense to sell to an investor. And so when we actually go out on an appointment, we try to identify whether or not it actually makes sense for them And if it doesn't, then we would actually let them know that someone like yourself would actually make more sense for them to sell their property through a real estate agent. And so it really depends on the particular situation. 90% of the time, it's something life-based. So either they need to move by a specific date, or they don't feel like doing any inspections or repairs to their property, or they just want a nice, easy, simple sale Sometimes, believe it or not, it can be as simple as the person doesn't want people through their house. They don't want their neighbors to know that they're selling, or they just don't want to go through the process of the inconvenience of getting people in and out of their home. So there's probably about 10 or 20 different main reasons why people end up selling to investors, but it has to be the right fit. And like I said, about 90% of the time we go out there and it's not the right fit for the person.
0: So give me some examples of when you assess that this person's better off working with the realtor and you don't take on their home.
2: Well, if we go out there and they really want to maximize the value of their property and they are willing to do any particular inspections, they're willing to get people through their house, they're willing to have their property marketed, they're fine with not moving at a particular date, then, I always will actually ask them and say, well, why do you wanna sell to an investor? Hmm. And once in a great while, they will come back to me with a particular response that, you know, something maybe I didn't know about them or a particular reason. But if they don't have any of those key indicators to lead me to believe that it makes sense for them to sell to an investor, then we're actually going to push them and say, well, you know, if you want top dollar, you're willing to, you know, go through, you know, some of the hassles of listing your home, we think that you'd be better off listening. And most of the time we leave the meeting and that's kind of the end of it. Once in a while, they'll come back and then they'll tell us something that we didn't know in the beginning, or there's a particular um, hot button topic that we missed. So our role really as investors is to really be a consultant when we go out there.
0: Wow. And that's actually a different concept than the, uh, the, um, stereotype if you will of the typical investor because it sounds like you guys actually work on a very relational level
1: well
2: at the end of the day people aren't gonna sell their properties to me at a discount if they don't know like and trust me so really when you think about it it's not that much different than being a real estate agent Mm -hmm. you have to do all of the same things and it doesn't matter how good of a salesperson I am if somebody does not is not willing to take a discount on their home, they're not going to sell to me anyways. Right. So for me to try to push that offer, you know, down their throat, it, it doesn't benefit myself or them. We're really pretty much just wasting our time. So yeah. our goal is to really help them determine what makes the most sense for them. And sometimes it makes sense to sell to an investor, sometimes it doesn't. And we work with a lot of real estate agents that will bring us deals like this. So you know we have a lot of really strong uh, agent relationships um, both in my brokerage that I have so I own a brokerage and also in and outs- outside brokerages where when agents will identify these opportunities and the person doesn't want to list they will bring that deal to us
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense because I know out here like I have a couple dozen investors in San Diego that uh, whenever I've got a, a property with a ton of work to be done to it, uh, and we're not sure where the market's going to go with uh, the response to that property, mm-hmm. I'll always reach out to them and get an assessment um, from them. And sometimes they'll 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 be the first one to help me out and say, you know, no, you've got this one, or yeah, you're going to have trouble with this one. So here's my offer. Go ahead and try to sell it, but if you don't, this is my offer.
2: Yeah, we we do the same thing. So. If a seller is kind of on the fence and they just want to test the market out, you know, we'll, we'll help them list the home and say, look, worst case scenario, you know, we're going to be at X, let's call X $350,000. So, you know, in a worst case scenario, if you have to, you can dump it to us, but you know, we can try to help maximize, you know, the return that you get on the sale of your home for a week or two or a month. And then worst case scenario, you come back to us. Right. Um, in this market, you're in a market like mine in San Diego where it's red hot, yep. it doesn't happen that frequently anymore. But it does happen here and there. And, you know, when, when somebody overprices their property a little bit and then they kind of get sick of waiting around and they've just, you know, decided they're ready to make a move, sometimes they will end up making that decision to come back to us and just take a quick, fast cash offer. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, and and I was being facetious at the top of the show because really um, the, what you're doing is you're working with people that have essentially, it's not that they're even against working with the realtor as much no. as the realtor's process because you offer a faster process. Um, now that process comes with a, a different price point for that seller. But as you said, there's a life circumstance that's usually creating an urgency that r- makes that uh, more palatable to them uh, than if they weren't, say, in a hurry.
2: Well, with, I always say to every real estate agent I meet, why Why are you not an investor? Because to me, you're going to come across those opportunities by default. Right. And the problem, if you either, to me, if you're an agent, you either need to be an investor or you need to have a really strong investor partner. Because if you don't, and it's the same thing where a seller who really wants to, to to list their property and get top dollar is not going to sell to me. A seller who wants to sell to an investor is not going to list their home. Right. So if you just push list, list, list and they're showing you all the signs that they really don't want to list their property, you're not going to get that listing. So, you know, why not either be an investor yourself or team up with an investor in your local area that you can, you know, work with. And, you know, a lot of times those type of deals can be can be great for real estate agents because a lot of times they can make a commission up front and then you know sometimes get the listing back when that investor ends up renovating the property.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, I'll, I'll echo that because I know um, especially back when the market crashed, um, there were investors I was working with. You know, I'm an investor myself. I actually invested long before I got my license. So. Um, you know, I I went back to that mentality uh, more so during the crash, mm-hmm. took a bird dog fee up front for finding properties for the investor or gave up the bird dog fee, but um, got the listing on yep. the flip side. So uh, it, there's relationships and, and you can structure these relationships, whatever makes financial sense for both of you. But it's really uh, just another uh, opportunity in your wheelhouse to have this pipeline and this relationship. Uh, I, I you know I was kidding Jonathan I said I'm gonna rip this guy apart but what Jonathan doesn't know is I work with guys like you all the time yeah um, because uh, you, you know and the other thing is the market's never gonna stay uh, in one place I mean we're nope. we're always changing and you, know, you, you gotta have some friends out there and you know when the market takes a dump you know it's my investor partners that help me get through those markets and then I in turn try to help them get through markets like this where it's a seller's market Mm-hmm. And maybe the, the deal that you need is a needle in the haystack, um, but I'm bringing them to you um, because what we're trying to do is keep that relationship uh, enriched for both of us. Absolutely. So uh, let me ask you now some logistical questions or some housekeeping on it. What, what typically, um, do you have, would you have a formula for wh- um, wh- how you price up a home when you're going to uh, take it from the seller um, and, you know, close in a week kind of thing?
2: Yeah. So we use a formula. It's a pretty standard formula across the industry. We take what we call 70% of the after repair value and okay. the after repair value, meaning what the property would be worth fully renovated and subtract repairs. And that allows us to calculate our offer. There so for example, if the after repair value was $500,000, um, you would multiply that by 70% to get to the 350 and let's say it's a $50,000 renovation budget, you would subtract that from the 350 to get to 300. And so $300,000 becomes what I call my max allowable offer. So for me, I can buy that property for anything, $300,000 or under. And of course, the less I get it for under $300,000, the more that I'm going to make on that deal.
0: Right. Right. So, and and I would imagine that because it's such an upfront uh, formula and a standard one, essentially, you're not making some crazy math up um, that y- people are probably more receptive to it because there's no cloak, you know, cloak and dagger or smoke and mirrors. It's just, it's math. It's simple math.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, every homeowner is different. And so, you know, from a homeowner perspective, it's really doesn't make sense to sell to an investor. And in my market you know, when I make an offer, sellers know that we're going to close. We have a reputation. We buy over a hundred homes a year. So really when we make an offer and it's a fair offer, it boils down to whether or not they want to sell to an investor. And some, you know, some sellers are more likely to sell to investors. And also it depends on the property as well. So keep in mind that of course, if the property's in a 10 out of 10 condition, unless there's some overriding reason that they, the seller really needs to sell to us, it usually doesn't make sense to sell to an investor. So the properties that we're typically buying do need work and would have inspection issues. And the differential between what it would sell for on the market versus selling directly to me may not be that different anyways when you factor in commissions so it has to be really the right seller and the right property for us to buy it and for it to make sense for the seller and look sellers are educated and especially in in the world today where you can go on zillow you can go on trulia you can get estimates of what your property is worth people have a rough idea of of the value of their property so everybody that sells to us has a full understanding of you know what their property would be worth renovated what right. it's kind of worth now and a lot of them will, will bring in an agent to give an opinion as well. So we have no issues with that and um, you know again the, the the goal is to make the right deal for the seller.
0: Well, and I imagine you you avoid a lot of sellers remorse uh, on the back end it by doing this all up front.
2: Oh yeah, I mean the sellers that sell to us we we get testimonials from all of them and they're thrilled that they sold to us. So you know again it's it's really making sure that it's the right fit for that person. And if it is, then then they're happy that they did it.
0: So property-wise, are you getting like, I mean, are you finding that you're getting like maybe a lot of inherited property that they, the, the heirs don't want or divorce property? Or I mean, what's the source of, I mean, obviously it's a lot of property that's distressed, yeah. but I mean, what is the actual source? What are the pipelines that create the most business for you?
2: Yeah, there's a few. I mean, you know, uh, inheritance is definitely, Um, a big one because they're, they're highly motivated. They, they, they now own a property that they don't want to own. It's multiple siblings. So multiple siblings typically means that each person is going to get a little bit less of the profit. So let's say that there's five people that are going to get, you know, a total of, of $20,000 each. Maybe if they listed on the MLS, maybe they'll get 23,000 each. So that does make a big, a big difference. So um, Inheritances are one, um, uh, you know, getting behind on your mortgage is another one. Um, another one is downsizing. So somebody that's lived in their home for 20, 30 years really hasn't kept up necessarily with the property and is looking to either go into a condo or go into, you know, some sort of downsizing situation. Um, and so, you know, it can be a lot of different, you know, reasons, but those are kind of the most common ones that we run across.
0: That makes sense. I mean, I've, cause I know I've come across some original owners that have a 1955 home and it's, it's in vintage condition, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the average buyer today, um, you know, is going to gut the thing. So they're, they they do not see the market value of it because of the amount of work that goes into it, uh, to bring it up to today's standards in that buyer's mind. So they, they would be a good candidate for you because Um, they've got so much equity in the property that they don't necessarily need to get every dollar
2: well you know what is interesting about this market that I I should have mentioned one other key source are people that we met with two three four years ago we made Uh, them an offer and it didn't work for them then but now that the market has come up so much there a lot of these sellers are now cashing in so uh, our offer uh, in 2017 a lot of times is actually more than what market value would have been a couple of years ago. So a lot of times we're able to go back to these sellers and they had an asking price at that point that we just couldn't meet and right. we can go back to them and now offer them that or sometimes more. Um and we we also have in Boston there's a lot of condo development going on for existing multifamilies. And there are a lot of landlords that are literally just cashing in right now because it's it's really a great time to sell, whether you sell to an investor or you sell to an agent. Um, Now's the time to get your top dollar price for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, the um, uh, question I have for you, because you brought it up earlier, is your marketing. and, And I understand you do some unique things. Could you share a little bit about how you get the word out about your company?
2: Yeah. So for me, for generating motivated seller leads, there's only three things that work really well. And There's a lot of misinformation about, you know, everyone's trying to sell you a product that is going to magically guarantee that, you know, you get a bunch of listings, you get a bunch of motivated sellers, et cetera. But to me, there's only three things that work really, really well. Number one is mailing. Number two is cold calling. And number three is internet marketing. And knowing that those are the three things that work, you have to do them right or else you're not going to get results. So for example, you know, if you're going to mail, you need to make sure that you're mailing the right list, the, the right amount of frequencies, that you're saying the right things in the letters or postcards that you're mailing, that the envelopes look a certain way or else you're not going to get the results that you need. So mm-hmm. with mailing, cold calling and with internet marketing, you have to really understand it and do it right or else your cost per lead is going to end up being much, much too high.
0: So let's, let's break it down um, on, on the three. So with mailings, yep. um, wh- what's a tip, what's a formula that works for you?
2: So when I think about mailing, I create a database. So the first thing I figure out is where I wanna buy homes because it might sound funny, but a lot of people buy lists and they'll buy a notice of default list and then they'll end up mailing people whose houses they don't even wanna buy because <laughs> they're just mailing from a list. Right. So I go the opposite way. I start out with what houses do I want to buy? And I make a database of that through public records. Okay. And then I also add in the factors that I think are going to give me the highest probability of somebody selling to me. So one of those examples is I won't mail somebody if they've bought a house in the last five years. Oh. Now, could they sell to an investor? Yes. Are they likely to have enough equity or want to sell to an investor knowing that they just bought their house five years ago? Probably not, um, you know another variable that we look at is actually the age of the homeowner, so depending upon you know i'm a, i'm a thirty four year old guy thirty four year old guys very very infrequently sell to investors so when we 're mailing we 're really looking we're creating what we call a property a property avatar of the ideal property that we want to buy mm-hmm. and then a seller avatar with all the characteristics of the seller that is most likely to sell to us and Knowing my business and having done over a thousand investment deals, I know the profile of both the properties that are most likely to sell to me, the ages of them, the styles of them, and also the seller that is most likely to sell to me. What they do, what type of job they have. You know, if you're mailing, you want to make sure that you're not mailing real estate agents because guess what? They're not going to sell to you, but people do it. People don't put these filters on and so they end up mailing and this goes for cold calling as well if you're not putting the filters on, you're gonna waste time and money.
0: So um, when, you're, when you're doing these lists, um, do you, is this like a good general rule? I mean, because you're giving some really good advice here, but would this vary from region to region? You're, like what you're doing in Boston may not work in New York or in Florida, or, or are there certain aspects of what you're doing that work no matter where you apply them?
2: All of the aspects of where I work apply everywhere and I actually work, right now I'm working with over 50 people across the United States in all different markets doing doing the exact marketing methods and so I know that they work. The only difference is, for example, in a market like yours or a market like mine, the cost per lead is going to be a little bit higher than a rural area where there's less competition. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we have bigger margins. So we're paying more per lead, but our margins are bigger. So it ends up netting the same.
0: So if
2: I'm trying to generate leads in Fort Wayne, Indiana, my cost per lead is going to be lower, but my margin on a flip is also going to be lower. Um, If I go into San Diego, LA, San Francisco, Boston, uh, those areas, we're going to make a lot more per deal and per listing, but the cost per lead is going to be higher.
0: Does the um, profile of the Seller change though, from region to region, like what, what you know to be true about your your best seller demographic in Boston, would that be a different seller in LA? The seller,
2: no, but the property, okay. yes. Because ah. for, for example, in Boston, I won't even market to a property that was built after 1970. Because oh. in Boston, a 1970 house is considered fairly new. <laughs> yeah. 90% of the properties in Boston were built between um, 1880 and 1920. Wow. Okay, and so in a way that gives us you know an advantage because most of the properties that the sellers that we meet their houses need some work because hey, a hundred year old a hundred year old house is going to need some work. Right. So now if I were to go into a market like Phoenix, Arizona, and I were to only market the properties that were built after uh, before 1970, I'd only have a few hundred houses that I could possibly prospect to. Right. So the the property itself changes. But the homeowner is always going to be the same. The 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 homeowner is going to have the same demographic profile. They're going to have the same likes and the same interests and they're not going to be real estate agents and most likely they're not going to be attorneys and they're not going to be doctors and things of that nature.
0: Okay so and I want to clarify something because you you talk about you're working in fifty different markets. Are you buying properties in outside of Boston or are you helping coaching other investors outside of boston
2: so i i have um a system that it's it combines coaching and leads and so we generate leads in markets across the united states and we partner and train the individuals that we work with and actually believe it or not real estate agents are the best candidates for us oh yeah because because real estate agents already know how to do 99.9 percent of the transactions related to investments they know how to negotiate, they know how to write contracts, they know how to build rapport. And those are the exact same characteristics of what makes a successful investor. Yeah. Most people think that a successful investor is somebody who can put a hammer or can put a hammer in a, a piece of wood or can manage a, con, a contractor because they look at what's done on HGTV. Yeah. But that, that's quite honestly, I love my partners. I have two partners that manage all of our construction crews but the money is made when you buy properties. And the way that you get discounted properties is, you know how to market to find motivated sellers and you're good at sales. And those are the two biggest value propositions in this business. Awesome. Hey,
0: I think uh, we need to take our break for the commercial. Yes, okay, so I'm gonna turn things over to Jonathan for a minute and we'll come back.
1: Yes, we're gonna go for our break. It's been a fascinating conversation, I'll say myself. Um, Tom's given us a load of information and we'll be back in a minute and learning more about his processes back in a few seconds folks
0: All right. well before I dive into more questions, Jonathan, I've been hogging the airtime as usual. Do you have a question you want to throw Tom's way?
1: Not really. It's an area that I don't know much about, but I think Tom's really, um, I think what the great thing about this interview, I've been listening to it, Thomas, is that, you know, there's a lot of um, propaganda about this, you know. that, you know, to be truthful, Tom, it, it, it's kind of marketed as being a little bit sleazy, but the reality <laughs> is, isn't. You know, you've you make it very clear to the um, people that might utilise your services the reality, and it's more just like what you've said. It's really targeting. So, I'm just giving you some feedback and. Maybe we could continue it, Thomas, um, about the marketing side.
0: Absolutely. Well, and but you make a good point because I think one of the great things about having a guy like Tom on is, um, you know, both our industries. I mean, Tom, let's face it, um, investors get um, pigeonholed into it. Like, we're, you know, we're like the um, shark tank makes us look uh, like good guys in a way because we're seen as these aggressive people that just take advantage of people, and realtors get. Uh, put in the same category you know it's oh
2: yeah but those those are the bad investors and the bad the bad Realtors so the good ones do things the right way and those are the ones that actually make money
0: right well and and they have longevity too they don't burn the bridges because you know I don't know how it is in Boston but in San Diego it's one of the biggest little towns you'll ever work in (laughs) and if you burn somebody here by the end of the month it comes back to haunt you I mean everyone knows everyone eventually here Oh, for sure um, you know and and so you know you, your reputation is a huge part of your success because people either will or won't deal with you based on that reputation and they've made up their mind about you to some extent in advance because of the reputation so um let's get back into the the marketing because i i know one thing that you, um you brought up that um we can bring jonathan in on too because um you do a lot of digital marketing. Um, yeah. How do you, What do you do? Um, is it social media, emails? What, what's the digital aspect?
2: So it's it's mainly uh, pay per click and Facebook, and those okay. those are the two that really dominate as of today. And the biggest thing with, with both of those, I mean, I can tell you that they work, um, and and your listeners can know that they work. The biggest the biggest thing is getting somebody who can actually really manage those campaigns for you and get your cost per lead down to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Because the problem, so I'm a pretty analytical person. I'm actually a CPA by trade. Oh. And I thought, you know, hey, I can figure out Google AdWords on my own. I can figure <laughs> out Facebook ads on my own. Not even close. So yeah. my cost per lead, when I was doing it on my own, was $600 per lead. Wow. And and this is, again, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, pat myself on the back, but I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. And I thought, you know, I could easily figure this out and I really couldn't. So I actually have somebody that works full-time for me that manages all of the campaigns, both for me and for the people out of state. And it took me three people. I had to go through three people to actually get the right person who can actually get my cost per lead down low enough for it to be profitable. And so we make sure in any market that we're in, that our cost per lead is $125 or under. And as an investor, that's really where you need your number to be in order to make good money. Um, You can make some money at a little bit higher cost per lead, but definitely not at $600 per lead
0: for sure. And this may be a question for both you and Jonathan because I, when it comes to tech, I, I know enough to be dangerous with it and then I don't know anything. So, yeah. when you're talking about getting your price per lead down, what are you actually talking about? Like, what are you doing to reduce the cost of lead and what's costing you $600 to begin with?
2: Yeah. So, when, when I'm talking about price per lead, I'm talking about somebody filling out a form online that says that they want to sell their property. And so the difference between $600 and $125 comes down to the the right targeting online. So it's just like if you did a mailer, if you mail to a list that doesn't make sense to to mail to, your cost per lead is going to be higher. And just like on social media or on Google or Yahoo or Bing or MSN, if you're targeting the wrong keywords or the wrong type of person, your cost per lead is going to go up higher. So for example, if on Google, and again, I don't manage these campaigns myself, but you know, I know enough to be dangerous and enough to again, fail at it. Um, you know, I know again, if you're, if you're putting these, these ads up in front of real estate agents, they're never gonna click on them. So for example, right. in Facebook, you can actually exclude real estate agents. Okay. So if you include real estate agents, say that the population is you know, 10% real estate agents, your cost per lead is going to go up by ten percent, and so the the better targeting that you can get, um, the better. The problem that I had with doing doing it completely on my own is that all of these platforms there's so many of them they change so quickly yeah. that you can get a good cost per lead for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden Google decides to change you know some something in its platform, and so. What I learned very quickly is that you need someone good to do it and you need somebody who just does that. You can't have a real estate investor who's also managing your social media campaigns, who's also managing your projects and things of that nature.
0: That's an excellent point. And Jonathan, uh, I mean, this is your field of expertise. Any uh, words of wisdom?
1: Well, it's just small things. It depends on the market as well. It's very similar to what Tom said about the difference of trees differences between Boston and Phoenix when it comes yeah. to houses and you'll find that with the, your lead cost as well when it comes to social media because it, it's an auction on both platforms you know we've been delving deep um, in Facebook I know a little bit about Google AdWords as well um, but there are basically all the um, you bid and the highest bid. Um, Also, there's the strange factor that um, both Facebook and Google doesn't want to show adverts that don't really work. You would think they don't care. They just want to take your money. But actually they do because um, if if they showed a load of adverts to audiences that really didn't care, those audiences would quickly become annoyed about the type of adverts that have been shown to them. And they wouldn't go so often to those platforms, especially Facebook. So Facebook, its main objective is to keep people on its platform as long as possible, to keep them engaged. So they also want to see evidence that your adverts our focus, like what Tom said, our focus—the copywriting, the images that utilize—really are appealing to its target audience. And if they, and if they do, they um, reduce the cost of the adverts to you. Okay. So, just I'm not going to explain it anymore because I'm hopefully we're going to get some further experts on Facebook. And delve in delving this some more but by just saying this to you hopefully i've shown you it's a slightly different environment than what most people are normally used to
0: well and you and, you and tom have both made it clear that you know you can't be uh, a master of all these uh, yeah. techniques i mean you, if if what you do best is sell homes then hire someone to do your marketing for you mm-hmm. so you can focus on what you do best um, Tom, I'm curious, if, if I took away two of your three um, ways of bringing in business um, and I told you you had to choose between digital, cold calling or mailing, what would you stick with?
2: In 2017, and this literally changes depending on the year, I would go with cold calling. Really? Because, because right now, a lot of people aren't doing it. So in, in a lot of the markets across the US, the mailing is super saturated. So mailing right now provides the highest cost per lead for for pretty much all markets across the US. I would then go to the online platform, but I would would go to cold calling because again, most people aren't doing it or they're not doing it right or consistently Mm -hmm. enough. So if you're able to do it right and consistent, um, you're gonna get the lowest cost per lead out of those three.
0: So what, and and i'll be the first to admit i i'm i i'm afraid to cold call i hate it yep. <laughs> but um but if i if you took a guy like me who's apprehensive about doing it what would you do to get me to be good at a cold call how would you train me
2: i wouldn't get a guy like you to do it because that's not oh. your skill set okay so your your skill set is selling home so i'm going to get somebody to do it for you and oh. so I have a team of inside sales agents that do this for agents and investors. And so that's what I would recommend doing because, you know, a lot of people are afraid to cold call, but here's the reality. If you actually cold call every day, you're going to be bored because you're going to think, oh man, I'm going to talk to a hundred people a day. All hundred people are going to yell yell at me and <laughs> most of the time you're actually just sitting there waiting to talk to somebody. Right. And so. When we call, we use a three-line dialer through um, a software provider called Mojo. And oh, yeah. we're, we're calling three people at the same time, and we're still having to wait to talk to people. So we, what we're looking for is a contact rate of 10%, which means that if we call 100 people, we get 10 people on the phone. And most of those conversations are brief. They're not anything thorough. And so you're really just looking for that person that is the least bit interested and then working that lead. So for somebody like you to learn how to do that as an experienced agent, is not gonna be worth your time, effort, and energy. And so what we really do for people is, we will hand over that person, out of that 100 people that we call, there's probably one person that's somewhat interested. And so we then pass that off to somebody like you, so that you don't have to go through that other 99 calls. And then you take that call, for the person that's someone interested and you have then the skills in your market to have a good conversation to talk about the neighborhood to talk about what you've sold to talk about what they might be able to get and so really the the key is so that you're only doing what your highest and best activities are so that you can make the most amount of money that you can
0: god that makes so much sense i mean it, you, you, so basically, instead of me dealing with the 99 that just sucked the joy out of me, yep. I get the one that I have a, a pretty good chance of having a, at least a warm conversation with.
2: Exactly, and you, you know that one lead, you know, doesn't mean you're going to close a deal. You need right. enough of those in order to in order to get deals done. But it's it's going to prevent you from from sitting there and you know in front of a computer again. Salespeople they don't want to do those kind of things. So. You know, we we want to make sure that we get you out in front of as many motivated sellers. And when I say motivated sellers, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sell to an investor. That can mean that they're just motivated to sell, and those are are great for agents or real estate investors.
0: Okay, so um, and I'm, I'm not going to ask you to spill all your secrets here, but I'll I mean, spill them all. What do <laughs> you know? Well, I'm curious, like what. Um, what do your cold callers do to open the conversation up? Like what's one of their opening lines to get somebody to not hang up on them or not start screaming at them right out of the gate.
2: (laughs) So what I, what I like to, to, to think about cold calling is I think about a bell curve. And so if you, you know what a bell curve looks like, On, on the one side, there's a very small percentage on the other side, there's a very small percentage and then there's the middle. And so, they about 10% of the people that are gonna call that you're gonna call are gonna have a bad day They're gonna yell at you. They're gonna be mean, you know It's not anything that you did those people are just upset about anything in their life, right in the middle You're gonna get you know the 80% those people are not gonna be interested They're not gonna spend time with you. You know, you're not even gonna have a conversation They're gonna ignore you and then you're gonna get the other 10% they're gonna say oh man, this is so weird that you just called I was talking to my wife last night about potentially selling our house. Mm. And so, we're, we're just basically looking to get to that other end of the bell curve. And all we're saying, we're not saying anything magical. This is not a script that, you know, you need to, you know, spend hours and hours thinking about. We're a local home buying company in the Boston area. We're looking to buy houses in your area. Would you consider an offer? That's yeah. it. And if they say yes, great. Um, you know, let's set up a day and time that we can come out there and take a look at it. If, if no, I'm never selling no big deal. We're, we're just looking to get to that 10%. Okay. And to
1: kind of, um, interject, um, I think what you're trying to point out, Tom, is your, your pre you and your team are, um, the calls that you make you're trying to pre-define the people you should call in the first place exactly aren't you? yeah
0: good point and
1: that's what a lot of people when they're doing cold calling you've got to invest time in investigating who you're gonna call um so the metaphor of it's not totally cold calling because you've done some pre-identification before you even did the call and even doing that um, you're getting ten percent. That show any interest. Yeah. So what Tom's trying to show you, Thomas, is, is for agent to do that. That's a hell of a lot of time. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot of time. Where which they probably be better off spending building up their personal um, farm, their personal connections in their community, and allow Tom and his team to do that.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because, I mean, Tom, what you and Jonathan have both showed me just is I'm not actually reluctant to cold calling. I'm I'm reluctant to the proper prep that goes into good cold calling because if I was actually doing what you were doing, I probably would have a better result. But, you know, I'll be the first to admit, you know, all we were taught as cold calling is pick an area and start calling everyone. And and there's no rhyme or reason to it other than they're all in the specific zip code or a specific neighborhood, but but within that you're you're going in and cherry picking the most probable people um to produce a result to your cold call.
2: Yeah, and I don't get this. I mean, you know, you have these national brokerages that they sell, you know, thousands yeah. upon thousands of houses a year. Yep. Yet what you just said is typically what the training is. Yeah, it, it literally doesn't make sense to me because obviously they are motivated to get their agents to sell the most amount of houses as possible. And what I'm saying is nothing earth shattering. It's right. nothing that, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not, you know, nothing like that. It's all basic, simple things, but yet the advice on how to prospect never seems, you know, for the average agent, never seems to be the right advice.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been um, just a boatload of information, and thank you so much because, um, you know, we we don't always get this kind of uh, info out of all our investors, so you've been really generous with um, your time and your info, and, you know, one thing I'm going to point out is, excuse me, I mean, For Sale by Owners have always existed. They always will. Um, They're they're at um, National Association of Realtors right now says that um, we're at about an 8% of the country is selling their own home. So it, you know, agents shouldn't look at things like um, what you're doing or even some of the apps that are out there that help people sell their own homes. I mean, it's just always gonna be a fact of life and I think the best thing to do is align yourself with someone like yourself, Tom, where you can partner through any kind of market together. One's gonna favor the other more than um, the other once in a while, but if you have a partnership with someone like yourself, there's a win-win in there for everyone. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that Pollyanna win-win thing, but I mean, it's, uh, it's the relationships that you you create between uh, companies like yours and mine that would uh, benefit through both, all kinds of markets.
2: Can I, can I give you a rebuttal for every for sale by owner? Yeah, sure. Okay, so when I prospect, I'm an investor, I'm looking to get discounted properties, right? Do I, do I prospect to properties that are on the market that are represented by agents or do I prospect to, quote unquote, for sale by owners?
0: I would imagine you're approaching the for sale by owner.
2: Okay, why do I do
0: that? Well, first of all, the, you're, you're not stepping on the toes of an agent with a contract. Yep, <laughs> um, but and,
2: at, at, every, at every step of the process, I'm the skilled negotiator, right? I buy, I buy 100 houses a year, right? right? So at every step of the way, the initial you know meeting to the inspection to every point of the way somebody that is not represented by an agent is going to get their price knocked down right so you know as well as i know that any inspection that happens is going to come back with a 50-page report because that inspector just literally needs to cover themselves to make sure that i told you anything right right now the, the average mm-hmm. homeowner who's never sold a house that gets a 50-page report that says their house is falling apart when it's not, <laughs> what are they gonna do, yeah, right? They're, they're gonna think, oh man, either I need to fix this $50,000 worth of things that are listed or I need to reduce my price. So at every point along, like I, I, for sale by owner thinks all an agent does is they put a sign out in front of my house, they put the property on the MLS. Right. But what an agent actually does is that as, at every critical point along the way, they provide them with the expertise to allow them to get the most money for their house. Right. So if I'm negotiating, if you're listing a property um, and I'm negotiating with you, you're gonna say to me, yeah, we got this inspection report back. These items, you know that half this stuff doesn't even need to be fixed. Whereas if that's a traditional seller and they get that report back, you know, whether I'm an investor or a, a buyer is working with an agent that's a skilled negotiator, they're gonna go in and they're gonna say, we need a 50K reduction. And unfortunately, an unrepresented seller is not gonna know the difference between that. So no, that's
0: a good point.
2: So they're not gonna net the same. They, they net a lower amount by, by going on their own. And by well, the way, they have to do everything. They have to, they have to show their house, they have to put the sign in the yard, they have to market their property. So, so they're spending a bunch of their time doing something that they're not skilled at and they're gonna end up with the worst result.
0: You make some great points because what people don't realize is the, the, there as you said, there's many steps in an escrow where we negotiate. It's not just Mm -hmm. about the upfront price. Mm -hmm. It's about terms. It's about the condition of the property. It's about the inspections. It's about the appraisal. And uh, like you said, um, not everything is just black and white. You have to lower the price or you have to fix all these things. Mm -hmm. That's why you have a negotiator. I mean, and to your point, I mean, if you believe the stats that um, NAR puts out, uh, in 2015, the typical for sale by owner home sold for 185000 compared to 240000 for the agent-assisted home sales, which is a 23% difference in gain. Um, why
2: is- Why? Why wouldn't that make sense, though? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, log- I mean, logically, you know, someone like me is going to come in and they're going at every point along the way, okay, this happened, okay, 10K discount, this happened. I mean- yeah it's, 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 it's literally a no brainer on on that end. And, And for what to save, you know, you have to offer two to two and a half percent anyways to a buyer agent. So to save what maybe you're, you're maximizing, maybe saving two to two and a half percent.
0: Right. Yeah, and and uh, facing a considerable loss if if you don't invest in uh, that relationship. But yeah, um, you know, and then on the flip side, of course, if there's there there are some properties that I come across that I'm I I don't see how on the retail market I'm going to get this thing sold. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I do call my investor partners and say, "What do you think? You know, what can we do with this?" Or, you know, I, I just had a recent case where I have a single family home sitting on an R four lot. Well, am I going to sell this as a single family home or am I going to sell this as an R4 lot? Mm-hmm. Having those relationships with guys like you to get the feedback to see what the likelihood is of a multi-unit going on there versus the single family could make a huge difference to my seller.
2: Yeah, right. And a property like that, I mean, if you're marketing that to a, a retail buyer, that that won't be the highest and best use for the property.
0: Precisely. Um, Jonathan, I think I can go on all day here. So, and I know we're running out of time. Do you want any uh, last words with Tom before we wrap up the show?
1: Just to say, Tom, you've done a fantastic job. You've been so open. I think it's been a fantastic interview and I think any real estate professional listening to it would have got some great value from it.
0: I would agree. I mean, as a real estate professional that sat here and had the conversation with you, I learned a lot and I can't wait to hear the playback to take some notes.
2: <laughs> yeah. And if if anybody wants to learn more kind of about our lead gen systems and things like that, you can go to www.learnhowtogetdiscountedproperties.com. Again, that's www.learnhowtogetdiscountedproperties.com.
0: And if people want to reach you, Tom, what's the best way to do that?
2: Um, I would say, so if you go to, to that site and you put your contact information in, then I'll have it and then I would reach out to you directly.
0: Okay. All right. And then, um, and also just to let people know that um, I, I just downloaded this earlier. I think you emailed me um, this morning because I downloaded your ebook uh, that you offer on your site as well. Cool. So there's a lot of great information on your site, and um, I I just encourage people to embrace the opportunity to build relationships with the investors in your market, because if you yourself do not have the desire or the skills, then align yourself with someone that does, because you're going to open up a huge pipeline to your business um, that you may not see the value in a seller's market right now, but you're definitely going to see it when the market shifts. Uh, Tom, thanks again so much for sharing your time and talents with us today. We really appreciate you having you on the show.
2: Thank you guys for having me on.
0: Absolutely. And Jonathan, do you want to give everyone uh, information on how to reach you?
1: Yes, folks. um, Go to the Mail-Rite site, mail-right.com. Learn more about our automated processes that will help you get quality leads in your local farm area.
0: Wonderful, and I'm Thomas J. Nelson. You can find me on my website, thomasjnelsonrealtor.com. Of course, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And uh, I want to remind you folks that uh, we're on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Please subscribe to our show, and please, please, please leave us your comments. Uh, The more comments and subscriptions we get, the better quality guests we get, like Tom, uh, who want to come on the show and share their time and information with you. And, uh, of course, if you have feedback for us, we want to hear it and uh, would love to interact with you on what your thoughts are to uh, bring good quality guests and what topics you want to hear us discuss. Uh, with that being said, thank you for joining us on the MailRite Real Estate Agent Podcast Show, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.